really cranking up since my return to the Artichoke Cafe a few weeks ago. Next week, Lisa Marsicek, known to all as Ms. Kitty of Ms. Kitty's Parlor, will be here. The following week, Chamber Music Northwest's executive director, Peter Bellotta, will talk about their new season. And the week after that, Cheryl Pavelski of Omnivore Records will be here to geek out with me about their newest releases of old or older music. But today, the great recording engineer Bob Stark is here to catch up on his newest studio and what the life of a recording engineer is like in 2022. Again. <laughs> Again, yeah. But the f- last time we did it at the coffee shop. Correct. Yeah, well, welcome to the Artichoke Music Cafe. Thank you. Nice little place. We've been in here for a long time now. And uh, uh, the last time, you were going to move the studio, but you hadn't moved it. Is that right? Is that right? That's correct. And there have been two moves since then. Wow. So Why? Um, well, basically, when I left Kung Fu Bakery... You know, that closed down, and I yeah. moved in with Paul Nelson. That was move number one. Uh-huh. And then COVID happened, and landlords got greedy, and uh. that uh, precipitated move number two, which is now I'm at home, like uh-huh. a lot of other yeah. you know, uh, people of my trade. <laughs> Sorry, that was coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me right yeah. in the middle, drinking a coffee. Um so, all the same gear? Um, pretty much. I've been selling off a lot of gear, mainly because I've found I like mixing on the computer, and a uh, lot of the outboard gear that I used to use just don't, you know, there was gear that hadn't been turned on in four or five years, and it's like, wow. let this piece of gear go, because you're never going to use it again. Was that hard? No. Okay. No. Well, some people have, you know, emotions invested in and 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 uh, and 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 make uh, make uh, pets out of gear. <laughs> there were there were two pieces that were a little difficult, basically because they were the first two pieces I bought when I went as an independent engineer. Uh, I was like, all right, it's a little hard letting these go because I've gotten a lot of mileage out of them. But yeah. you know, it, it was time. Well, that's good. That's good. And. Uh, uh, and you, obviously you have no space problems because you must have enough room where you are. Otherwise uh, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly mixing and editing now. Yeah. So yeah. The, the need for all the stuff we're tracking, I still have a lot of microphones because wherever I go record, I'm going to take microphones with me. Yeah. Um, I have a fair amount of preamps because I do have a space where I could do overdubs at home and mm-hmm. I still want to use the right preamp to get the right sound on the right vocalist, you know. Right. So th- there's still a reasonable amount of gear around, but it's mainly for getting particular sounds versus, you know, I'm miking up a whole band and uh-huh. we need all this stuff. I uh-huh. don't need a bunch of stuff anymore. Why is that? Um, I think mainly because I'm working with artists versus bands Uh um which you know if if i work with a band i'm going into a studio or something and they'll have all the preamps and whatever i need and then the microphones just become the tools for me and that's why i still hold on to my microphones Uh how many microphones do you think you have 
<laughs> lots. It's like asking the guitar yeah. player how many guitar guitars he has. If they think about it, yeah, 60, 70, 80. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and you know them intimately and know exactly what they're going to give give you. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they surprise me still, <laughs> in a good way and in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, during, how did you handle keeping busy? During the pandemic, and I I know that that uh, that that uh, files are shared, and that's right. how things are done. But was was there, there was was there a precipitous change? So, right when the pandemic hit, I was starting to mix an album for Jared Lawson, and which I have played on the radio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I think Jared's music is incredible. Um, but uh, when when we started mixing that project, I was still over at Paul's, and mm-hmm. uh, the pandemic hit. So those first couple months, we were locked down. So I yeah. grabbed my computer, grabbed a bunch of blankets, and kind of made a makeshift mixing facility in my basement. Huh. And we mixed Jared's record. So that got me through, you know, kind of almost a month of work right there, getting uh-huh. that really dialed in and done. Uh-huh. Um, and the, there's always been little things and about two months into the pandemic, I went back to Sonic, which was mm-hmm. the post Kung Fu studio mm-hmm. and, uh, worked there. Uh, Paul and I were very, you know, let's mask up when clients ask us to mask up, mm-hmm. let's, you know, follow protocols and everything. And we did, and we stayed busy, you know, just doing music there was like an album for chance hayden there was i played that one too on the radio uh, great <laughs> i was just talking to him last night i, I played uh father's shiny shoes Is that oh, yeah. yeah um he's he's kind of a, a fun guy i like yes in he, the lowest key possible he's found his <laughs> voice yes which to me is always amazing when i hear that out of musician yeah. I actually wrote that. I wrote liner notes for the album before that, and and I actually said that that he has that he has found his voice. Yeah, but it's been so much fun watching him evolve. I, I think mm-hmm. I started working with him when I was still at Kung Fu, so that's ten years ago. Wow. Um, and to hear what he's been doing recently, it's like I could now go. That's Chance playing guitar, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. so fun to hear that evolving a musician. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, oh, we got kind of sidetracked. Off no, of, that's okay. We're just talking uh, about you know uh, you know how things evolved uh, during the pandemic for yeah. you. Yeah, and and eventually I think, you know, when I got back to Sonic, things started flowing in more and more. Uh-huh. Following protocols, we were we're all good and huh. work stayed busy. Wow, lucky you. Very lucky. And when I moved home, work came with me. So uh-huh. it's just unfortunate we had to go through uh, being threatened with another rent raise to finally kick well, us it's out gonna of be there. Worse. <laughs> it's going to be worse next year when they can, they can raise the rents 14%. Oh, yeah. Well, we weren't talking 14%. We were talking 50%. Wow. So, yeah, we just we had to bail. Ah. Did Falcon ever have to do that? 
I don't know. I don't know if Dennis owns the building or if he's leasing or yeah. or how that was working over there. Yeah. You know, it what seems. Do, what, do, what do you? What do you? How, how do you gauge the the uh, recording studio sort of market? How are, how how is how is the industry in Portland? Um, boy, this is going to sound harsh, but it feels poor right now. Yeah. Um, I don't feel. You know, like I could go to Seattle and get into mm-hmm. what we'll call a real studio. Yeah. No problems. Um, we have good studios in Portland. Um, I think that Thelma's and Billy Oskay's place fill mm-hmm. a really great need. But we don't have that facility where you could walk in and you could fit, you know, like a, like sitting here in Artichoke, we could fit like 18 pieces in here yeah and then there would be a couple isolation booths in uh-huh. addition to that uh-huh. we're missing that in portland right now uh-huh. and having a great piano in the room as well uh-huh. not even tucker martin's play uh tucker doesn't have a piano oh wow well doesn't have a you know gotcha. nice grand piano we could yeah. always you know bring one in rent one in right but, you know it's it's nice to be able to walk in and have a great piano yeah, uh, especially with a lot of the work I do, because it is kind of, I you know I'm shooting for finding who in Portland wants to be an ECM artist. Not that I have those connections, but it's like I want somebody. What? I want to work with people that play with that sensibility. What a great goal! I've you know I've I've got, I I was very lucky in my career because. I latched on to their PR people <laughs> in about 1975. <laughs> wow. So, it's a while ago. I've got all those great albums yeah. from that era, you know? Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, when, uh, when, uh, uh, when Bill Royston came in and took over the jazz festival, he was very tight with those people, and he, had, he, had, he brought in all those ECM people. Right. And it was, it was, you know, it was just, it was wonderful. It was just great, you know, to have, to, to be able to see all these people. And I got to do some, some interviews with, with those people when they came through. I, I, I had a, a wonderful interview with um, Anat Fort. And uh, is, 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 is that your ballpark there? Yeah, no, I'd love to know, like, who finds these people for Manfred Eicher? It's I know, just like I know. The artists are... You know, VJ Ayers on there and Matt Marcin Vasilewski, and it's like wonderful. Well, wonderful I think it's artists. like Lauren Michaels in Saturday Night Live. Yeah, they just—that's a great comparison. Yeah, they just—they just people find them for him, you know, and then he just has to sit there and listen, <laughs> and and make wonderful suggestions from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I just uh, that, that was those those old ECMs. I mean, today too, but. Certainly, certainly, back in in the, in the in the seventies and eighties, they were just the, the 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 epitome. They were they were the best. They just were so meaningful, and so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's your goal. That's absolutely my goal. That's great. Because somebody's got to do that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know how do how do we get that to happen in Portland? <laughs> do, do we have any any artists of that caliber? Um, I think there are some. I think that, uh, you know, when I go hear somebody like Greg Goble play oh, or yes. 
when I hear Steve Christofferson play. Yes. I yes. think Steve plays with that sensibility. Uh-huh. Um, I, I love hearing, uh, uh, who is it? Christopher Brown's quartet. Yes. It's, to me, that's like one of the m- most musically satisfying things to go hear in Portland right now. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody in that band is like aware who else is in that band, for people who don't know? Oh, uh, Ross Carlo on bass yeah. and uh, John Nastos on woodwinds. Yes. You know John Nastos built the original Oregon Music News site. You know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he built a lot of it while he was playing in the pit band at the, um, at the, at the armory. Mm. <laughs> he, he's an industrious person. I, I like John yes. a lot. Yes. He recently did an orchestration on an album that I worked on uh, the, the Christopher James project that I forwarded to you mm-hmm. he did uh, one of the orchestrations and it's gorgeous mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful how many pieces uh, that particular piece was maybe about 20 wow yeah. Jeez. not your traditional big band yeah it was more like uh, woodwinds like flute clarinets uh-huh. bass clarinet uh-huh. um string quartet uh-huh. and then three or four brass players then rhythm section did you record that yes in pieces or all together all together they're uh. one shot and done wow where'd you do it we did it in studio a at power station in new york whoa so there you go great musicians on the project too there's just something so special even if you're doing crap i used to work for an ad agency and we just, just did we did retail, <laughs> just did retail, but uh, it took me to RCA Studio A in, in New York, and yeah. I just got to be there. You know, got to, just got to. It's like it's like like Billy Oski knowing that board was yeah. gone through his board, Aretha Franklin, and all those people. Right. Um, well, there's some great history, and it was project was a lot of fun brilliant musicians on the project yeah. Gil Goldstein was playing piano uh-huh. on some cuts and we had Jim Beard on others uh-huh. uh, Antonio Sanchez on drums uh, John Patitucci on bass oh boy oh I'm sorry I, 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 I forgot is this out, is this out now it is out okay now look you sent it to me I know that yeah. I'll listen to it a little bit but uh, when we're done and we go out is there a piece from that album we can go out on Oh boy, um, boy! I'm trying to remember the names of the cuts now. Oh. <laughs> uh, how about number one, number two, number three? No, I'd, I'd say John's is pretty good. Blue in the second degree. Okay. Now, do you have any say say so in the in the sequencing? On this particular album, yes, because I was co-producer on it. Ah, uh, what is what is the key to that, the sequencing? Flow. Uh huh. It's, you know, Chris, Christopher and I would, you know, we'd listen a lot to the, these. And, of course, Christopher has a final say because it's his album. Yes. But it's also, we had a lot of give and take back and forth. Well, if forth. he doesn't listen to you, he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if I don't listen to him, I'm nuts because he's... he's well, it's the, oh, essence of, the essence of collaboration. Yeah. Uh, he's a pretty knowledgeable music guy, so I will bend to him uh-huh. in a lot of situations that yeah. uh, typically I wouldn't bend to others. Ah. Um, uh-huh. But uh, he's 
got a really good handle on how music should flow and mm-hmm. you know just the fact of the people that he hired to do for or the orchestrations on this project is speaks volumes uh-huh. um, it's I mean it's a wonderful album for me it's easily one of my top five albums I've ever worked on well that's that's saying something you know that's <laughs> that's over 35 years yeah that's that's fabulous well uh, hey everybody we're going to listen to to that track uh, when when, when uh, Bob and I are finished talking <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> stay tuned. Or or you can move that little thing up. Yeah. <laughs> slider. And, but don't do that. Don't do that. Just wait. Uh, I guess the other one that would be good, uh, would another good candidate would be Saudade, which uh-huh. is a, a orchestration by Rob Mathis. And uh, it features piano solo by, um, actually, both of these cuts feature piano solos by Jim Beard. Mm-hmm. Um wonderful solos you know as, as a as a as a uh, as a music journalist and it's just so much i found this interesting <laughs> no matter what you what no matter what you're a fan of or whatever you know is most meaningful to you to actually be able to to interview people without any real knowledge of music because <laughs> Most most uh, music journalists have no, absolutely no idea, what you know what the, about the, the 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 ins and outs of music or you know or, or how the sausage is made. Right. But it's okay, because the people who read that stuff don't either. Yeah, they're the consumer. They don't want yeah. to know. They just no. want to hear a great tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and sometimes I interviewed Keith Jarrett one time, and I asked him. What do you think people think about when they hear your music? And he said, "I've never thought about that." <laughs> of course, I mean, I've also talked to musicians who have the exact opposite uh, of that. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I've experienced both sides of that too, where uh-huh. the musicians are very concerned about what's going to work with the public uh-huh. versus just making music. Yeah, and and to me, that's like. You know, unless they're really forward-thinking, if they're trying to latch on to what the public thinks, they're too late. Oh, yeah. 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 By the time that record makes it out there in four months, it's like, yeah, that trend's over. Yeah. Yeah. There's an old broadcasting axiom that um, if uh, by the time that the artist is tired of hearing it, the, whether it's a piece of music or a show or whatever, by the time that the, the creator is, is just sick to death of hearing it, that's when the audience is just catching on. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, that's, uh, that's okay. Because, uh, you know, I mean, because uh, uh, if you don't like, what, if you don't like the, what you've made, you're in trouble. Yeah. You know? You know, if you go big and you have to play one song every night yes. the rest of your life yeah hey that's what you signed up for yeah yeah i interviewed les mccann one time and i said uh, do you, don't you ever get tired of people asking you to play compared to what he said no i play it twice a set if i if they wanted me to <laughs> no it's perfect attitude yeah 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 so what are you working on now what am i working on now i just 
finished an album for John Nielsen. We uh-huh. we got the master back this weekend, and that's exciting. As always, it's like I'm listening to it and cringing over one mix. Oh. So I, I I'm in the process of trying to talk John into like let me do one mix over again. The mastering engineer will have no problem slipping it in. So uh-huh. we're negotiating that right now. Ah. And uh, well, what what ki- what kind of things would you have to do to it? Um, it's it's kind of I made the mix a little too fashionable. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, meaning I made it kind of you know the fashion right now in a lot of music is to over compress and uh-huh. to um, oversaturate. And I why do they do that? Uh, it's it's the fashion. Okay, it's a trend. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I overdid it. Oh. And so I went to ease up on it and make it feel more like an old 70s folk rock album. Uh-huh. And, you know, have it feel a little bit more open. Huh. And it's only one mix, so I think, uh, yeah. I think I'll get through on that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've got a project going on with, on with Katie Harmon right now that uh-huh. she did back in New York. And it was a live set at uh, 54 Underground. Uh-huh. And we're... Um, cutting it down from the full show, which was like 90 minutes Mm -hmm. into just the music bits and a little bit of monologue. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it kind of tells the story of her whole experience of becoming Miss America with music interspersed. And it's pretty intriguing to listen to. It's, uh, there are really wonderful moments in it. So what's it like working with Miss America? Uh, Lots of emails back and forth. Ah. <laughs> um, uh, I've worked with her in the past, and she's uh-huh. really, really pleasant. It's like a great human well, that's being good, to work it with. Could be, could go either way. Could, yeah, could go either way with any musician. Well, that's but, very true. But she's really, you know, she's a good musician, and she has mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge of music, and uh-huh. she's making really good calls on what what we should do, and um, you know, everything's making a lot of sense and. Uh-huh. Getting that 90 minutes down to 74 so it'll yeah. fit on a CD is a, a challenge, but yeah. I think we'll get there. What what kind of ideas would she come up with? Can you give me an example for people? Because people have no clue about how this, this whole process. Well, it's mostly the pacing of the project. It's like uh-huh. how how do we, what can we cut down and what uh-huh. what can go away? And, oh, that's know, hard. Our, or are we tripping over sentences and let's cut those out? And yeah. uh, and there are other things because a lot of, since it was a live show, there's a lot of like a piano thing vamping in the background. Oh. And we haven't gotten to this point yet, but I know it's coming. <laughs> We're going to have to cut out some of that vamping oh. where talking is also going over the top uh-huh. and have it line up. So that's going to be a challenge, but I think it'll... You know, once again, in the process of tightening it up, that's where my music editing brain goes into yeah. work, and yeah. we figure it out. Did you start editing with a, a, a razor blade? Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. Jeez. You yeah. still have those chops? Yeah. Eh? Why not? Well, well yeah, but you know, I mean, it could be a little rusty. But, uh. No, you just rock the tape, listen back and forth, and <laughs> that's where it goes. Mark yeah. it with a china marker. Oh, I know, I know. I, when I I was I used to do a a, a very 
highly edited radio show. It's just a five-minute show, but it was it was it was a it was my attempt to make TV out of radio. Got it. And uh, no, make radio out of TV. Let me put it that way, because it sounded it, it sounded like a TV story, cut with music, just edited beyond you know, just very heavily edited, and and uh, um, and uh, you know, it took a, and I had a great editor. He was also my best friend, which helped. I mean, I did a, I did a, a story one time where I, I drove in a demolition derby <laughs> wearing a wireless mic. Oh, man. And that took a million edits, you know, and it was flawless. It's just, it's so, I always get along with editors. And I, it's not because I should, because I should, yeah. <laughs> but because I do, because I know, I, I understand how valuable they are in, 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 in the process and, and uh, you know. Now, I have to admit that, you know, computers have made this so much easier. Yes, and when I did that show, that was just, I mean, a year before uh, computerized edited came, editing came in for, for audio. Just about a year. Mm -hmm. And I guess we, it would have been better, but it was great the way it was. Yeah. Have you ever, have you had to do that at any time lately? Uh, the last time I did it was for Marv Ross Huh. Uh, maybe 2004, 2005. Wow. And we were doing 24-track recording over at Kung Fu, and huh. you know, Marv would give me the list of edits he wants, and they'd go out and have lunch, and I'd <laughs> have it done when they come back. <laughs> so, so Spoken it, like a true editor. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just what you do. I mean, in music, it's so much... Well, to me, it's easier than dialogue because it's like find the kick drum, find the snare. Uh -huh. That's usually where your cuts are. And, really? And, yeah. you know, nine times out of ten, it's like you're not trying to cut on a vocal or something. Yes. And, yes. Uh, so edits are usually pretty easy in music. Really? Yeah. Wow. Easier than, than, than uh, uh, spoken word or, or vocals? Uh I would guess they, that they, they would they, be. They have different issues. Yeah. 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 You know, like for Katie's project right now, they're they're on 58s or something. Who knows what they're on in terms of microphones, but there's a lot of popping and, uh -huh. and a lot of H sounds and F sounds and, uh -huh. you know, blah, blah, blah that, you know, are popping the diaphragm of the microphone and they need to be cleaned up. Otherwise, this recording is just not going to fly. That takes patience and time. Do you ever think that? I know. That, I, I know that that the artists that you're working with hear that and know that. But is it ever sort of daunting that maybe the the rest of the audience don't ever hear that? Um, because they, I mean, I, but they, they would know if it was there. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would absolutely know if it was there. Maybe I don't, I'm not. I'm not convinced. Okay. Of that. <laughs> Because I know that, that there's lots of things I can't hear. Of course, I can't hear because I blew my ear, one, one of my ears out um, transcribing an Esperanza Spalding interview. Oh, man. <laughs> How are your ears? Ears are good. Yeah? Yeah. How I, do you, I mean, you, you, you got headphones on all day and all night, right? I no, don't, you don't use headphones? I don't listen loud. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's very rare when I listen loud. Huh. Um, and it's usually for the client when the client's in the room. Uh -huh. I mean, if I'm mixing, the level we're talking at back and forth here is kind of my mix level. Wow. 90% of the time. Uh -huh. um, 
I'll turn up once in a while because you have to know that it's working at a loud volume. Right. But it's really a lot easier to balance things when it's quiet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what about your own music? uh, Why? (laughs) What's that mean? What does that sigh mean? It means... I don't have enough time in a day. Uh-huh. If we could expand the days up to about yeah. 28 hours or so, then, then I'd be good to go. Do you realize how lucky you are to be able to make that statement? <laughs> you are. You really are. First, I, to be in demand and, and, uh, and know that you have great work that you can do but can't get to it. No, it's like, I know, it's frustrating. I, it's very frustrating, and I'm finally reaching that point where um, you know, my wife and I have had this conversation a lot of like, when are you going to do some of your own stuff? And, no doubt. <laughs> and I'm now making a very concerted effort to learn a, a program called Cubase, which you know your music listeners will know. And that's going to be the program that I work in to do my own music. Uh-huh. Uh, it has the tools that I'm really liking in terms of uh, software production. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would describe my own music as a cross between ambient and classical music. Uh-huh. What I'm trying to incorporate is uh, a little bit of the improvisation element of jazz, mm-hmm. but that whole ambient texture bed stays there. Mm-hmm. But harmonically, the uh, structure more of, you know, like, uh, 18th century classical music. It's like huh. I want there to be a very diatonic structure to the music. Chamber music? Um, no. Ah. Just harmonically, yes, chamber music, yeah. but sounding like chamber music, no. Ah. It's going to sound much more electronic, but so definitely have is those there influences. An touch to it? No. Aha. There would be more like a. Imagine an artist like A.S. Dana, uh-huh. if things were done in a major key. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was more harmonic movement. Uh-huh. A lot of the ambient music that I hear tends to drone too much for my taste. Uh-huh. I want to hear more harmonic structure. Uh-huh. And so if I could pull that off in the next two or three years, maybe I'll have something out. Uh-huh. I don't know. Now, are you, are you playing keys with, with your own stuff? Uh, it depends. Ah, um, on what? It depends on uh, the, the composition. Yeah. Um, there are so many players in town that are so great that I know that as I put this together, I'm going to be calling on them versus mm-hmm. me doing, oh, I, c- I could play this piano part, but it would sound a lot better if I just called Greg Goble and said, <laughs> hey, can you come in and knock this out for me? Um, and, you know, when it also when it gets to things like woodwinds and horns and whatever, uh-huh. it's like, I don't want those to be programmed sounds. I want those yeah. to be real instruments. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. you know, the orchestral side of it, it's like there's a lot of great software now that, mm-hmm. you know, I could create an orchestral sound that I like mm-hmm. and pass that off because... I don't have money to go down to, you know, Warner and record an orchestra or anything. Yeah. 
It'd be nice, but you know, that's someday. not in the cards. Well, maybe someday. Oh, there's lottery winnings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not counting on that. No, you can't count on no. that. No. You can lose your shirt counting on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everything else. Um, so, uh, are you close to a finished product with any of that? Any of this? No. Ah. There are a few pieces in um, that are compositionally completed, mm-hmm. nothing recorded. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of being traditional in that sense of like, I'm starting on paper and imagining what I wanted to be, just keyboard, paper, sense in my brain of uh-huh. what I want the sounds to be. Uh-huh. And, and Real then, paper, not, not writing on, on, a, on a program? Oh, I have a program, but it's quicker to sketch it out on paper really? and, then, and then transfer uh-huh. it into uh-huh. Sibelius or, uh-huh. or um, uh-huh. which is my <laughs> my program of choice for notation. But you know that could change too. <laughs> so you know what's so interesting about, about talking to you and 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 other um, people who do what you do uh, is that uh, generally the the audience has no clue. You know, they just don't know. No, it, and it's wonderful that they, you know to hear you talk about these things. Yeah, and it's like going back to the Christopher James project. It's like part of the sausage making was Chris would send me a, a piano part, mm-hmm. and the first thing he would have me do is go, I, "I really like what I'm getting here. Can you transcribe this for me?" And then we'll edit it. Mm-hmm. Like we might change some passages or or um you know, insert new part of the composition mm-hmm. or or completely remove sections. But mm-hmm. it's like the key thing was getting the tempo and that piano part correct. Uh-huh. And then we'd take that piano part and orchestrate it. And, and a lot of people don't quite get what that means. So it's like, okay, so you right. have this piano thing. It's like, okay, now we're ditching the piano and replacing it with all this bed of instruments. Uh-huh. And the piano may still be there in the end, but it has a little bit more of a role to serve within yeah. the orchestration. Yeah. Um, so that would be the next step. And then Chris would always like me to demo it up uh-huh. in, um, in a MIDI world. Ah. So... That's where I started to get my, my where's, where's the software that sounds more like an orchestra or more like the <laughs> instruments that we're going to end up using? And uh-huh. So I kind of got those chops together so I could demo those quickly mm-hmm. for Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the, he didn't have that luxury with Rob Mathis. Rob Mathis <laughs> is like, here's my orchestration. <laughs> so, one succession. <laughs> we're going to record it. It's going to be great. And Rob is like so over the top happy uh-huh. positive guy that yeah. it's just like infectious and um chris has just ran with it and his orchestrations are beautiful on his project uh-huh. uh both gil john and i did midi uh demos uh-huh. and you know chris was able to listen and get a sense of what's going on and go yeah this is good yeah ready to record so by the time we get into record it's the the song has gone through 
four or five different iterations before it even gets placed in front of the musicians. Wow. And the great thing about this session is we did 10 songs in four days. Just go in everybody's sight reading. So we did four or five takes tops on each tune. Huh. And we were done. Then hmm. it was take it home and mix. Jeez. Hmm. Do you do you ever uh, want to perform in public? No. Why not? Uh, no interest. Huh. That was fun when I was, you know, 20 years old. But yeah, yeah, I'll leave that for the the younger people. What did you? What did you? I don't want to take up their air. <laughs> you know, it, it's like I I I I really feel that it's important for the younger musicians to be out there to play. Yeah. And, you know, if a guy my age is going out and playing in the clubs, you know, unless you're a top-notch guy in town, it's like you're taking up the air of the people that are coming up. Yeah. And it's like it's important for them to get that experience. Yeah. What kind of stuff did you play when you were in, in your 20s, when you, when, you, when you were performing? Oh, it was all rocks and cover. and Yeah? You know, it's like... You what? didn't play Mustang Sally, did you? No. <laughs> but Why is it? It's such a great song. It's in such ill repute. That's what I'd like to know. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's like at that time it wasn't in my vocabulary because yeah. uh, I was doing stuff like, uh, you know, some sticks covers and really? Foreigner and wow. uh, things like that. And uh -huh. it's like one of the one of the things from my youth is like I was playing in bands in high school. Mm -hmm. I skipped my senior prom to play another school senior prom. Whoa. So it's like priorities. <laughs> I knew music at that point was going to be a priority in my life. So. I guess so. You miss your own, you miss your own prom. Yeah. Huh. For somebody else's. Yeah. Well, you know, economics too. Do I want to spend, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> all this yeah. dough to do my prom or do I in those days still make 250 bucks to go out and play a prom this is in the 70s yeah, and it's like yeah. that was decent money back then it was great money back then yeah it's like and it's sad because i don't bands aren't even making that much right now right and this is right. you know and writers never had yeah ever not for a minute Ugh. well that's not there, there there was a time when i mean i got an assignment one time from george magazine remember george magazine i do it was a three dollar a word assignment which was real good. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like everything else, they went out of business. Right. <laughs> Music doesn't go out of business. It doesn't. No, ever. Writing has gone out of business. Well, music <laughs> has been mysteriously pushed aside, though, in favor of, well, it's still there, but when I hear... A lot of things on the radio, and I still listen to radio once in a while, mm -hmm. it's not feeling like music. Oh. It's feeling like we have a beat. Yeah. And we have a key center. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to stray from that. And we have one line that will hook in people's ears. Yep. And that's it. And that's not really music. Though. It doesn't feel like music to me, uh, right. you know, and 
you know, call me old or whatever, but it harkens back to, you know, even in the 90s, like Duncan Sheik was writing Mm -hmm. gorgeous, gorgeous songs, Mm -hmm. beautiful structure. And, you know, there are artists out there doing that now, but they're not showing up on the radio. Right. And it's, it's almost outside of country music. It's, and even country music is, you know, going down this lowest common denominator path yeah that is it's it's just disturbing that well suppose somebody came in and wanted wanted you to record them and they wanted auto-tune um you know i'll i'll say it here yes 90 percent of the music is auto-tuned even if we don't think it is what do you mean um every project i've worked on probably since about 2005 has had some form of tuning done on it. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You're spilling the beans, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe not every, but 95%. Yeah. But it's, 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 you know, that strive for unobtainable perfection. Yeah. Or that, strive of like you know i want to go out on the town tonight can you just tune the vocals for me instead of <laughs> you know me hanging out here and getting them right mm, or but on the on the flip side of that it's like we were tuning vocals back in the 80s like taking an eventide harmonizer and triggering midi <laughs> to ride pitch up and down and running <laughs> a vocal through harmonizer <laughs> so we were fixing vocals back then with yeah. Was it so obvious, though? <laughs> no. And, well, I think auto-tune today isn't that obvious when used correctly. Ah. Uh. Um, you know, it's, it's what severity are you going to use it with? Mm. You know, you could get it all the way to that robotic, robotic sound, or you mm. could have it sound very natural. Mm. And, you know, the projects I work on, I lean towards natural and I'm not surprised. <laughs> and uh, that's just the aesthetic I like to work within. So, uh-huh. you know, it's like, it's not hard to do the robotic thing. Yeah. It's, it's funny easy. as you talk, I can hear Eberhard Weber and Jan Garbarek <laughs> in my head and that drone. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Well, listen, Bob, thank you so much for coming by. This has been really fascinating, you know. I mean, uh, um, uh, you're doing a public service, Uh, Bob. I hope so. I want to mention one thing. Sure. Um, Since you mentioned Eberhard and uh, Jan Garberich, uh, and this is for people listening to the podcast, if you haven't heard it, listen to Lyle Mays' last composition. Ah. It's, It's called Eberhard. And it's beautiful. Uh, 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 uh. Ever still with us, isn't he? Good question. I think so. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Well, hmm. so I'll remind us again what what track we're going to listen to from uh, from the album. Um, I would say check out either "Blue in the Second Degree," uh-huh. which was orchestrated by uh, John Nastos, or uh-huh. uh, check out um, "Saudade." which was orchestrated by Rob Mathis. Okay. I'll leave my own orchestrations out of it for now. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because 
You're the guest on the, on the fucking I know, but, podcast. But for Rob's sake. okay. Well, if you want to do mine, it's the first cut on the album. Okay, I want to do that. <laughs> All right. Because you know, people, everybody knows Bob Stark is a great engineer, but not not as much as an orchestrator or a composer. You know, I mean, that don't you agree? True. Yeah. So let's hear it. Okay. okay. Well, all right. Thank you very much for coming uh, in. Uh, you know, it's been great talking to you. And as we like to close every, uh, these, always uh, close these things by saying, that's entertainment. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs>